The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. John, thank you very much. And right now on Fast, Fed Chair Powell waxing poetic, saying we are navigating by the stars under cloudy skies. There's a metaphor for you. He also said inflation is too high still, and he's prepared to raise interest rates further. So why did stocks finish the week on a high note? We'll look at that. Plus, ditching the down payment, almost. Zillow testing mortgages with just 1% down. Is this a smart way to help cash-strapped buyers or maybe another disaster in the making? And later, our chart of the week will unlace Shoemaker's epic losing, a Shoemaker's epic losing streak and why it could ripple across a host of consumer stocks. Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Tyler Matheson in for Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site. And on the desk tonight... Steve Grasso, Tim Seymour, and sitting in is our guest Traber. Trader is Stuart Kaiser, City's Head of Equity Trading Strategy. Stuart, welcome. Welcome to all of you, in fact. Good to be with you. We start with the markets and the Fed, of course. Story of the day, stocks jumping today, despite uh, Chair Jerome Powell's warning that more rate hikes could be ahead. How hard a warning was it, or was it a little squishy? Treasury yields also rising. Take a look at the two-year yield surging to its highest level since the first week of July. CNBC's senior economics reporter Steve Leisman is in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, a beautiful spot with all the details. Hi, Steve. Hey, Tyler, thanks a lot. Yeah, Fed Chair Powell delivering what you could call a moderately hawkish speech in Jackson Hole here, which he said inflation was still too high, despite, by the way, recent progress that he acknowledged. And he said his choice seems to be between holding rates at a restrictive level or hiking again. We are in a position to proceed carefully as we assess the incoming data and the evolving outlook and risks. Two months of good data are only the beginning of what it will take to build confidence that inflation is moving down sustainably toward our goal. We can't yet know the extent to which these lower readings will continue or where underlying inflation will settle over coming quarters. Now, markets had sold off in anticipation of the speech and in response to stronger economic growth numbers we've gotten. So equities were higher today and bonds were Definitely higher as well, but the outlook for Fed rate hikes increased. Take a look here. The odds of a September rate hike remain unchanged at 20 percent, but the probabilities of a November uh, increase past the 50 percent mark to stand around 56 percent now. Powell mentioned several factors or scenarios that could lead to additional hikes. Economic growth running stronger than expected, inflation failing to follow through on recent declines, and the labor market remaining too tight. Those are three scenarios that he suggested could lead to higher rates. But with lots of data between now and the November meeting, Powell made clear there was no decision had been made just yet. There were a few dovish remarks, not many, including comments that payroll growth had slowed significantly and that lags of previous rate hikes could yet hit the economy. But overall, the message was a Fed chair skeptical that maybe enough had been done yet to bring inflation down the target and willing to give the economy some time to prove his skepticism wrong 
but kind of maybe a little itchy to hike again if inflation does not cooperate, Tyler. Steve, let me start off our little Q&A segment. I mean, it's, this sounded like a, a kind of a I'm going to be data dependent, a phrase we've heard before. What are the data on which the Fed will be most dependent? Well, start with inflation, the PCE number, which we're going to get next week. Um, I would be looking at the growth numbers as well, look at the payroll numbers we'll get next week as well to see if there's that kind of loosening up. I think it's important to note, Tyler, that um, Powell repeated his idea from last year that bringing inflation down was going to require a period of below trend growth. So that kind of tells you, watch GDP. The Fed chair wants inflation, or wants GDP running below 2% because that's a place where he would feel more confident that inflation is being brought down uh, more, more convincingly. Steve? So, so, Steve, when uh, I heard uh, Chairman Powell make the comment that the housing sector has picked back up again, there's two elements to the housing sector, the existing and the new home sector. Existing has been plummeting and new homes have been rising. Why are they so myopic on that when the one that is critical to rates isn't really rallying? It's a good question. I think the way to think about how the Fed thinks about housing is through the owner's equivalent rent, what the equivalent is to to rent a property. Um, They see that number coming down, inflation over time. But because, you know, new rents don't reset and new housing costs don't reset with everybody automatically, it's going to take some time to work through the index. So what he's saying is essentially we're worried it's picking back up, but we still see it coming down and and lower numbers working through the index over time. But he's not going to front run those numbers coming down, Steve. So, uh, Tim, let me turn to you as we point out that uh, Steve Leisman's the only human being who can stay dry in a rainstorm. Beautiful, <laughs> man. Go ahead, Tim. Well, Steve, I, I guess my, my question to you is where do we think there's dissension within this Fed? Uh, ultimately, we, we've had a, a lot of talk over the last couple of days. This seems like a Fed that really is, is doing its best to stay uh, together as a group. And that, that the, you know, there's often an undertone at other times with other Feds that we never really felt like we knew they were going. You know, Tim, I really like your question. I think I know why you're asking it, because as an investor, you want to understand the parameters of the debate at the Fed to understand where the risks are. What I can tell you is having talked to three Fed officials on the record here, that the parameters of the debate are kind of on the hawkish side, because your doves are those who don't necessarily want to cut right away. They just don't want to hike. They want to maintain a restrictive level. That's the dovish side. And the hawkish side is one and maybe even two more hikes among some of the most hawkish members of the Fed. That's the parameter of the debate. I have not heard anybody out there saying, either publicly or in the hallway, saying, we ought to be cutting right now. The Fed is way too tight. That's not part of the discussion. When it comes to cuts, which you'll note Powell didn't even mention today, although some people who talked to me did talk about it. It's a next year thing, Tim. All right, uh, Steve, thanks very Thank much. You. Hope you can get some fishing in. Maybe just starting right now is not a bad idea. If not, uh, hope so over the weekend. Steve Leisman, you know thank they, you. You know what they say, Tyler? Tyler, they say the fish are already wet, so it doesn't matter. The fish are already wet. That's right. <laughs> Steve Leisman, thank you very much. And uh, the Fed, of course, will closely be watching next week's key economic reports, jobs, inflation, housing numbers. Doesn't get much bigger than that. So how could these developments move the needle for the Fed? Stuart, let's bring you in here. Uh, I mentioned to Steve, it feels like this is a data-dependent Fed. What are the data? We mentioned three of them right there. Jobs, inflation, housing numbers. Those are real uh, centers of the rodeo. 
Yeah, I think from our perspective, the focus is on the jobs report next week. You know, uh, as Steve mentioned, the, the Fed or Chair Powell kind of repeated the message that they kind of need to see weakness in the labor market to, to really be convinced that there's enough tightening going through the system. Consensus. And we've is, seen none of that. We've seen none of it, but you know, really? cons- consensus is 170k for next Friday. That would be the lowest positive print that we've seen on payrolls since December of 2019. And, and the lowest print that we've seen since a, a negative print in December 2020. So 170 is not a weak number, but you're starting to get to the point where you're, you're at the lower end of these positive prints that, that might start to concern the market a little bit on the edges. So we'll be definitely focused on payrolls as the number one indicator next week. How about inflation? Where do you think, that, where do you think that's moving? I mean, our view is is the next month or two, you can continue to have kind of an easing of, of inflation, similar to what we've seen recently, which is back to back 20, you know, sub 20 basis point prints. But our economists do expect it to kind of turn higher a little bit as we get into the end of the year. From what? what? Why? Um, like, I, I think you, you have some the, the housing, it, you know, owners equivalent rent has been sticky. It looks like it may kind of pick up a little bit. You know, some nuances in the data like airfares were, were, were low last, last month from an inflation perspective. We expect that to kind of recover as the year goes on, just given the strength in, in domestic travel. So, you know, we do think you could get inflation turning higher a bit. It seems like the Fed is also concerned about that if you believe their forecast. So I guess I, what I would say with inflation, the next month or two is probably not going to be an issue as you get back later into the year. It could kind of come back to people's radar, which is why the Fed wants to keep November in play. Steve right? was asking a question about housing. Where do you see that playing in here? I mean, you look the at the two inv- dimensions of it, existing, two, and, existing new. and new. I mean, you've got you've got existing where where people are sort of mortgage stuck, married to the mortgage. They're, they're frozen. And then and so then people are going into the new houses, which are selling quite nicely. Look, I think the concern there is is you've got mortgage rates at a, at a level we haven't seen in about 20 years. Yep. And obviously that's going to be a headwind for both of the things you described. It's, it's hard to get out of a low-cost mortgage if, if you've got to refi into a higher-cost mortgage to buy a new place. And it also makes you know the cost of buying a new home kind of prohibitive. So that degree of tightening should be hitting the economy. Um, you know, but as Steve mentioned, it seems like that sort of came in and is already back on its way out. Yeah. So I think the question here from my perspective is really gets back to inflation. And you're really sort of getting out of the prime home buying and selling season as you move into the fall here, right? Right, and these are, these are first-time home buyers predominantly because they don't have anything to sell, so it makes it more reasonable for them to enter that market. And the reason why the housing stocks have done so well is that they're buying down those mortgage rates, trying to be more competitive. But if you look at the way you started the show, you said, why did the market rally? And he sounded just as hawkish as he's ever been. If you look at it historically, the market will see the Fed level off, and then six months later, they'll do their analysis, and historically, they start cutting rates six months later. So if we give them September and even give them November, then you're looking at that first rate cut maybe in May, June. May, June. May, May June, June, and I think that's where some of the street is right now. So if the, if the market could see through the fog of the Fed because he can't see the stars at night, then maybe we'll see the market rally. Picking up on his, uh, his lovely little metaphor there. Uh, Tim, let me turn to you. I miss you sitting here with me, Tim. I can't tell. Ty, the body language that. is just not the same, man. I, I, if, if, if I could hug you through the phone lines here, pal. So uh, anyway, Virtual thank you. Virtual hug, that's fine. Um, yeah, so, so you know, I guess I listen to all this, and, and what I hear is the Fed's not our problem. And the Fed hasn't been our problem, I think, for, for, for three to six months. I think the, the problems are the ones that the market was expecting. Uh, certainly economists have been expecting, but, but even a lot of the faster money out there. And it explains where, you know, credit spreads and the consumer, we heard some of this this week. We're going to talk a little bit more about this later in the show. Um, that's 
that that's really what the key is. We're at peak inflation, peak Fed, peak rates for the most part. I, I think the two year closing, you know, near 508 uh, is is a concern for equities. But really, we've been uh, more fixated on the long end to do our discount rates. Bottom line here is I, I just think uh, what we got out of the way today was at least some concern that the Fed could be a bigger problem than they might have been. And they haven't been. That's why the market rallied. The market sold off 5% into this Jackson Hole. Equity repositioning over the last four to five weeks has been extraordinary. Uh, we've gone from where we were in the third and fourth weeks of July to a place where I, I think it allows this rally. And while I'm not wildly bullish on September, I think the market's going a bit higher here. All right. Interesting, Tim. Thank you very much. Well, if you are long or short the market, you can be either one. The chart master uh, has got a way to play it both ways. For more, let's bring in Carter Worth of Worth Charting. They tell me, Carter, just to get out of the way and let you go. Take it away, my friend. <laughs> okay. Well, sounds like a plan. Thanks, Tyler. Great to see you. So I thought we would look at the relationship between the QQQ and the SPY. Um, and so we're going to look at four identical ratio charts. A ratio chart simply depicts relative performance. This is QQQ divided by uh, SPX, and it's simply the direction of the line. It's not the scale. So there are no drawings, no lines, no annotations, no judgment. Let's put some in. And what you see on this uh, second iteration of the identical chart is that the relative performance of the Qs to the market actually peaked in September of 2020. Uh, following COVID. So three years later, um, there is no outperformance at all on the part of QQQ. Another way to draw the lines, of course, would simply be to call attention to those well-defined tops. And then the final way, and this is really the important one, um, the uptrend, meaning Qs have been outperforming uh, SPY um, for the better part of uh, 10 months, we're now starting to break that trend as seen there in the down arrow. That's a judgment, of course, uh, mine. I think that the underperformance uh, continues. So if one is a pairs trader, this is simply being short QQQ long SPY, or it's long only, it's continued to reduce exposure to large super cap marquee QQQ type names. Okay, so there is the trade, is to short QQQ, go long SPY, or uh, at the very least to be wary of the, of the super caps. Steve, reaction? Yeah, so, so I, I, I agree uh, to a certain extent. I, th I think that if you're going to play this market to rally, the, first of all, the, the top three constituents on, on the triple Qs and the SPY are going to be Apple, Microsoft, and a Amazon. And then you could further that out to NVIDIA if you're looking at the SPYs. If you think the market's going to rally going to a year end, you're going to have to own all of them. So it's sort of a pick your poison moment and, and a binary guess. I think the market's probably going to rally into year end, which favors large cap tech. That's kind of what Tim says. So what is your thinking here as you look at the, the themes? I know individual stocks is an area you're a little less able to talk about, but, but the themes that, that Carter and and, look, uh, look I, I think it makes sense. If, if you saw what happened during earnings, which is stocks that beat their earnings numbers are basically flat on the day. Um, and that just shows you that expectations have gotten quite high, especially in large cap tech. You've also had a surge higher in interest rates. Those large cap growth and tech stocks are very sensitive to rates. So I think those two things are what are, are causing that trade to kind of top out and, and show some weakness. Um, if you look at how this is going to perform going into year end, effectively what you're arguing here for is a rotation. It's a rotation out of tech and into more of cyclicals. Our analysis shows that when that happens, about three quarters of the time, it happens in a rising market. So what you would get is the market higher, 
tech higher, but these non-tech stocks may be outperforming on a relative basis a little bit. And to me, that's a, a less worrisome way to kind, of, to kind of think of that trade. The flip side of that is if you actually had that rotation happen in a down market, that would be a very, very negative outcome for markets because that would be the market lower and tech getting liquidated. Mm-hmm. That's not our base case, but that would be, I think, the, the really negative takeaway from that chart. The positive takeaway would be high expectations. This stuff is really outperformed. We'd have, we've had a short period of rates rising, which is a bit of a headwind. But ultimately, going into the back half of the year, we should continue to perform well, tech up. But there's the potential that these higher beta cyclicals could outperform, right, outperform Stuart, a little bit. Stuart, we're going to leave it there for now. We'll be right back. And, uh, Carter, we'll see you in just a minute. Thank you, as always. We've got a lot of uh, charts uh, to go. And a chart of the week. It's Friday. Yep, that is right. Uh, week with an A, not EE. We'll find out which stock caught our traders' attention next. Plus, Zillow gone wild as mortgage rates hit a 22-year high. The real estate company has a new strategy to bring in home buyers. You won't believe this one, or maybe you will. Stick around to find out. More Fast Money in two minutes. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Oh, no. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time now for our chart of the W-E-A-K. Shares of Nike just not doing it this week. Up today, but dropping nearly 6% since Monday. The biggest dog in the Dow. The athletic retailer has been on a downward slump for most of August. Notching an 11-day losing streak. And, Tim, you've been bearish on the swoosh for a while now. Has this slide changed your mind at all? Is it getting to a point where it looks a little more attractive? It's a lot more attractive. It's down 40% from the earlier (laughs) highs that it had last 22, down 25% from where we were in April. Uh, I think still expensive. I also still think that they've pulled forward a lot of sales. More than anything, I think the multiple has to come down. It has come down. Um, But I, 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 I just feel like we've we, we found a place where the gross margins may have peaked in the short run. And, and that's it. It's a fantastic company. I love Nike. Uh, own it with a lot of accounts. And so tactically, this has been uh, a directional short that makes me feel a lot better uh, about being short discretionary, which I think has more way to go lower. Steve? So Nike, uh, to Tim's point, started a downward trend in November of 2021. It broke out of that a year later, November of 2022, started a new downward trend that that's a product of all of retail basically getting crimped here. So until this stock bottoms out, I would not be buying it. I, that's the obvious as a trader. But I would look for it to hold basically that September low from, from 2022. Sorry. Nike is in part a China story, Stuart. 
Yeah, and I, I think, look, it, it, what Steve mentioned, I think, is, is really important here, which is if you believe the Fed is going to continue tightening and that's going to hurt the labor market, then consumer spending is at risk. And that's why you want to be probably cautious calling the bottom on a stock like Nike. You know, to your point on China, look, China, Nike's a brand and, and China consumes brands and luxury brands. So I do think there is the potential here that the stock has been under pressure because of weaker China spending, um, which is impacting, you know, European luxury as well. So this is a, a broader story that I think has U.S. consumer impact, uh, U.S. consumer takeaways as well as Chinese yeah. Takeaways. All right. Thanks, folks. Uh, coming up next, mortgage rates on the rise and Zillow out with a zealous program to entice home buyers. But are they just creating the next set of real estate zombies? Oh. A lot of Z's, but no Z's around here. <laughs> We're wide awake. Come on back. You're watching Fast Money Live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. We're back after this. Welcome back to Fast Money, everybody. Zillow launching a new program uh, to give buyers the option of putting just 1% down on home purchases. The financing option currently limited to buyers in Arizona who still have to meet credit and income requirements. But it comes as the 30-year fixed rate mortgage hovers around 20-year-plus highs. Now, if Zillow keeps stringent standards, folks, is this an okay way to help buyers? or perhaps a catastrophe in the making. Steve, why don't you take the first whack? So if you look at it, they haven't given out specifics on the criteria as far as credit uh, or income, but what the numbers that have been thrown out there seem very, very low. So I, I don't think this is a great idea. I think Zillow, when they got into that flipping houses and they lost a ton of money a couple of years back, now this seems very promotional, very gimmicky. Stated what your core competency is, and I think you'll be a better stock for it. So I, I, I don't like the idea. How about you, Tim? I don't love it. Uh, I'm long Zillow. I've been long for, I don't know, six months. Uh, I think the story is, first of all, this is a profitable company and what they do now. There's been a lot of uncertainty in the housing market. They were very cautious on their 2Q guide. If you look at their EBITDA margin, it's just under 40%. Uh, that's why this is an attractive company. It's actually not expensive. It's not one of these high multiple dot com companies. But as Steve pointed out, boy, they, they, they've had some missteps. I, I don't love this, this move, but I, you know, I think you have to be cautious. Reaction, Stuart? Uh, yeah, I guess it kind of worries me for two reasons. One, it, it really confirms the challenge that higher mortgage rates is kind of posing to the economy and the housing market. And the second is experience has sort of taught us when you get creative and aggressive on, on mortgage <laughs> and consumer lending, it, it tends not to end well. So I don't have a, a specific, specific view on Zillow. Just yeah. generally speaking, this kind of you know worries me in terms of, of what is this testimony or, or, or look through to the housing market. I think What's when you put mortgage gimmicks and Texas or Arizona together in the same <laughs> sentence, you probably got a problem. Right, uh, right brewing here a little bit. Shall we go for a final trade zoom around the horn? Let's begin with you, Tim. Well, let's go to the healthcare sector, which I continue to think will be very defensive. Pfizer is one of those names that's been punished. It's trading down near some support levels, even, you know, kind of pre and post pandemic. But they spent a lot of money to develop a pipeline that's more than just what they did during COVID. You got to love Pfizer here. Got to love Pfizer. Uh, you want to take it away, Grasso? Uh, sure. Um, Palantir was a $20 stock about 24 days ago. It sold off dramatically. I'm looking for a retracement of those levels. I'm long the name. I bought it just for pretty much a day trade, and it's winding up being a couple of day trade, but I'm looking for a pop back next week. How about you, Stuart? Final you know, thoughts? Yeah, you know, our view here is, is you need to be hedging your equity exposure, and I think the number one reason for that is just the reaction to good news has been very weak and very unconvincing over the course of the last two to four weeks. 
You've also have higher rates, a weaker China, and, and pretty bad technical setup. So we do think it's the time to kind of protect your, your gains in equity markets, S&P 500 puts. Stuart, it's been great to be with you. Steve, let me let you, uh, what did you learn this week in the markets? I, I think the Fed's time is done for the moment. And it was, it was either NVIDIA or the Fed. And I think they both had their, their 15 minutes of fame. Let's move on next week. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Great to be with you all. Have a great weekend. And you guys at home, don't go anywhere because Options Action is next. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.